In Acts chapter 20, we are introduced to Eutychus. He's a young man who falls asleep while listening to one of Paul's sermons and then falls to his death from an upper story window. Today, we'll be asking what kind of lessons we should learn from a story such as this and how to avoid the Eutychus syndrome. Welcome to episode 60, the Eutychus Syndrome. Well, welcome back to the Rethinking Scripture podcast. This is Greg Hall, and we are well into this year's holiday season. It seems like we've redecorated our house twice in the last two weeks. The pumpkins have given ground to stockings and interior trees. Most of you know that Lisa and I live in the Northwest region of the United States, where there is an abundance of Christmas trees that are grown. I even sheared Christmas trees as a summer job when I was in high school. But a few years ago, we broke down (laughs) and bought a fake Christmas tree. And I sold it to myself, saying that one of the benefits was that We could pick a tree that had pre-installed lights that just automatically turn on every year when the tree is put together. And so we bought one of those and it worked perfectly for the first couple years. Then last year, we only had lights on the bottom and the top sections. There was no lights working in the middle. And because I'm a little like this, I spent three or four hours replacing bulbs in that middle section, trying to get the whole midsection of our tree working again. But it was to no avail. So yesterday, when I pulled the tree out of storage and put it together, I knew that the middle section was going to be dark. But I didn't know that between last season and this, another section decided to crap out. So yesterday, I found myself at the hardware store buying Christmas lights for a fake tree that has Christmas lights pre-installed. And the whole way there and back, I was just thinking to myself, it seems like we should be able to build a strand of Christmas tree lights that will work forever. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, even though Christmas is coming, I'm actually more excited about January 19th of next year. That's when my first book... Rethinking Rest will launch. And yesterday was a big day for the book. I received the galley file for my book. And that file shows the interior of the book, page by page, what the layout of the book is like. And if that wasn't enough, another Christmas miracle, my Rethinking Rest silicone wristbands and keychains arrived via FedEx as well. And I'll put a link in the show notes to a picture so you can see them in all their glory for yourselves. (laughs) But just to describe them, they are the same color blue as the book cover. And they display the website URL as well as the acronym WMPTBATTD, followed by a question mark. That acronym is from chapter three of the book. And it represents the question, what's my place to be and thing to do? I suggest in the book that it's the answer to that question 
that is the key to finding true rest. In today's episode, we will be looking into a strange little story near the beginning of Acts chapter 20. It's about the death and eventual resuscitation of Eutychus. He's a teenager that just couldn't stay awake for one of Paul's super long sermons. And to begin, even though this is in the very popular book of Acts, it might be a story you haven't read or studied in a while. So to start, I'll just be reading from Acts 20, verses 6 through 12 to catch us up. It says this, We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. They took the boy alive and were greatly comforted. So breaking away from the text, uh, to be sure, (laughs) this is a strange little story, (laughs) especially because that's really all that's mentioned of the event. The next verse simply picks up the narrative of the next part of Paul's travels. And I should also mention, before we get too far along, that the name Eutychus It means good fortune or fortunate. In modern vernacular, we'd refer to him as lucky, which seems like the wrong name to be calling someone who just fell out of a window to his death. But on the other hand, it does seem kind of appropriate, I guess, for the end result. So because the episode involving Eutychus is so unique, it has been interpreted a number of different ways. And for some help on this today, in this episode, I'll be referring to a 2014 article in the Bulletin for Biblical Research written by Julie Glavik. The article is titled Eutychus in Acts and in the Church, The Narrative Significance of Acts 26 through 12. And I thought I would also mention that Glavik hails from Seattle Pacific University in Washington State. This is a university well attended by the Hall family. In fact, everyone in my generation of the Hall family and in the previous generation and in the generation before that all attended Seattle Pacific University, all except one. And that one was me because I wanted to be a basketball star And their coach didn't think I was good enough to play on their team. And when I went up to try out, turns out he was right. (laughs) So I decided to step down a level in the collegiate ranks and attended PLU. And I played for them for a couple of years. So that's where Glavik is from. 
And it's this article that was originally her doctoral thesis back in 2011. And it's in this article that Glavik argues that the way we've come to understand this story, the one of Eutychus, probably isn't the way it was intended to be understood. She says, Eutychus's unlikely evening in Acts 20, verses 6 through 12, is frequently overlooked by preachers and commentators alike, deemed to be either too comical, awkward, or separable for serious study. She goes on to say, throughout history, this text has not received much attention among either practicing Christians or the academy. The academic community implicitly treats the text as expendable, viewing it as either merely humorous or literarily dismissible and disconnected from the broader narrative. Compared to the other passages about claimed miracles and events in the life of Paul, this pericope receives relatively little attention in commentaries, in journals, or on library bookshelves. And stepping away from Glavik's article for a minute, she quotes from several commentators that suggest that this story is a tragic comedy that is, in some words, charming, and one that expounds the quote-unquote perils of preaching. In our time, the story is often viewed as being able to be separated from the context of the journey of Paul as he makes his way from Greece back to Jerusalem. And because of that, many have decided it's not worth much of a comment. But Glavik's going to argue differently. In fact, Glavik is going to say that this is a crucial part of Luke's presentation of who Paul is. In her article, Glavik goes back, not just to more modern commentaries, she goes back into the history a little bit of the commentary record. And it's interesting to see how far back people did start talking about it, and when they did, exactly how they were approaching the text. Regarding that, Glavik says this, Interestingly, what may be the passage's earliest reference is also its most flattering. In a book called The Acts of Paul, which I'll just comment really quickly, it's a book attributed by some to Paul, but likely it was written by some of his followers in the second century. And Glavik says, it seems that in this book, The Acts of Paul, one of the stories included in that book may have imitated this story of Eutychus. It describes a youth by a different name who fell from a window died, and was revived by Paul. We can see that in Acts of Paul, chapter 11, verse 1. And because this story includes verbal parallels along with that distinct style and cause of death, that implies that those who wrote the Acts of Paul deliberately borrowed the narrative from Luke's work. So that, likely from the 2nd century, in the 4th century, John Chrysostom, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople, 
He spoke fondly, albeit very briefly, of Eutychus, noting that the wonderful thing is this. Though a young man, speaking of Eutychus, was not indifferent, and though being overtaken by sleep, he did not leave, (laughs) nor was he afraid of the danger of falling. And Glavik points out that the archbishop appears to have preferred parishioners who nod off while listening to those who stay home in bed and avoid the sermon altogether. A little bit later, Glavik writes that Augustine of Hippo discusses this passage only insofar as it relates to how it may or may not indicate regular worship practices of the early Christians. According to Augustine's reading, the Christians in the upper room at Troas seem to put off their meal for a very long time until Paul is finished speaking, almost as though they were fasting. But Augustine notes, this does not therefore prove that they habitually fasted on the Lord's day, but only that it did not seem proper to the apostle to interrupt for the sake of taking refreshment. So, an interesting take from Augustine there. Other ancient writers commenting on this text do not look favorably on the youth in the window. One speaks against Eutychus's exhaustion and then interprets it allegorically, explaining that Eutychus fell from the loftiness of spiritual gifts in the upper room and sinned by neglecting to remain in that sacred space. So those are just some of the comments that Glavik brings out in her article from commentators uh, a long way back. And in contrast, she says, some popular examinations of Eutychus among 20th and 21st century practicing Christians tend to view the tale of the unlucky youth as a warning (laughs) to long-winded preachers. One author emphasizes that it's unnecessary to force-feed the assembly with dull sermon elements because the listeners will, in his words, almost envy poor Eutychus. Glavik goes on to say, modern American teenagers, it seems, are particularly prone to the dreaded Eutychus syndrome, which is the inability to understand properly what happens in a Christian worship meeting. Eutychus is a paradigm of adolescent development because he's described as both a young man and later as a boy. So he is given the title of the modern-day teenager. He is an authentic teen representative, according to one commentator, because his story serves as a warning to Christian youth ministers who are likely interacting with teenagers in danger of falling out of proverbial windows into lives of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So it's not just the ancient commentators that take an allegorical look at this passage. It seems that it's easy to take Eutychus's literal fall from a third-story window and have it represent a more theological fall into the dangers of secular society. In her journal article, Glavik also quotes a Theology Today article, which suggested that one of the takeaways of this story is that church leaders 
should pay more attention to including teenagers in their preaching. And breaking away from Glavik, that, in my own defense, is why I like to quote movie lines from 1980s films. I think it endures me to my teenage listeners, or at least to those who used to be teenagers. So in the first part of her article, what Glavik does is kind of sets up what her interpretation of this story is going to be by introducing us to a little bit of the history of how different theologians and commentators have interpreted the story over time. And transitioning from that past history of interpretation to the next part of her article, she says this, But despite most conclusions to the contrary, the tale of Eutychus does fit into the literary structure and theological message of Acts, insofar as it communicates a point of Lukean stress, the author Luke. And what's Luke's stress? By telling the story, Luke is defending Paul's platform to teach and his right standing among Christians, as well as the right standing of the Gentile churches he established and defended. So in the second portion of her article, Glavik does make that transition away from the history of interpretation into maybe a better understanding of how this Eutychus story should be understood by modern readers. And it's by actually going back and asking the question, why would Luke have included this story? If everybody thinks it's just a throwaway, why is it that Luke considered this story important enough to include in his narrative? Glavik says this. She argues that Luke, the author, must defend Paul in this story on two fronts. First, Luke must emphasize that Paul really has turned from his persecuting ways and has become a legitimate member of the Jesus movement. Second, Luke must reveal the anti-Jewish accusations against Paul as baseless, even though Paul is very eager to share his message with the Gentiles. So when Luke writes his account, the Acts of the Apostles, he's got a big job in front of him. People are still questioning who this Paul is. Remember, things travel rather slowly in ancient times. When we can connect to the internet today and catch something literally the moment it happens, that same advantage was not afforded in ancient times. And as we've discussed in previous episodes, news traveled rather slowly. In some cases, it would take multiple decades for word to get out. And so what we find is Glavik arguing that that's what Luke is trying to do throughout his narrative. He's defending Paul on these two fronts, that he's no longer a persecutor of this Jesus movement. And even though he's hanging out with a lot of Gentiles, he is not anti-Jewish. And all the accusations that come up against him in that realm are baseless. Which, by the way, is hard to do when you're telling certain people in the faith that they don't have to follow Jewish customs, right? So that's how the whole mission was difficult for Paul. And then when Luke took up his pen, it was even more difficult maybe to describe that 
in balancing terms. In her article, Glavik says, Acts is a narrative that links the fourfold Gospels, all four of them, with the epistles of Paul. In particular, the location of Acts in relation to the Pauline epistles means that the Paul of Acts offers a paradigm for understanding the Paul of the letters. And I would add that it's through this specific story, the one of Eutychus, that Luke is linking Paul to his Jewish history. And he does that with a resuscitation, which is an event similar to some of the Old Testament prophets, men like Elijah and Elisha. And at the same time, with the same story, Luke is also linking Paul to the Jesus movement that he used to persecute because it's that Jesus character who also resuscitated individuals. And it's Glavik that says the story of Eutychus ultimately encourages Christian readers of the New Testament to read the Pauline corpus in a particular way. First, Paul is a pious Jew, defending himself against unbiased accusations to the contrary. And Luke is also arguing that any anti-Semitic interpretation of Paul's letters are theologically incorrect. Additionally, Paul is deeply connected to the story of Jesus and to the early church. His message is to be understood in light of the life of Jesus told in the Gospels and with an eye toward the instruction offered by other church leaders. So, breaking away from Glavik's article just for a moment, the fact that it's fairly common for modern commentators to view this Eutychus passage as a tragic comedy, that approach suggests that we've concluded that the main character of this story is Eutychus. Because, literally speaking, in a tragedy, the main character travels from a high position to a low position. And for Eutychus, that happens both literally and literarily as he falls to his death from a high window. So that's the tragedy portion. But most people think this is a tragic comedy. And the comedic portion of the story would be when that literary character is taken from the depths that he reaches to a high position again. And again, this happens literally to Eutychus as he's brought back to life and he returns again to the upper room on the third floor. But when we view this story as a tragic comedy, we assume and declare that the main character is Eutychus. But Glavik argues that Paul is and always was the main reason that this story is told. Luke includes this story as part of a larger effort to defend Paul's Jewishness and, at the same time, show that he has completely separated from the days when he persecuted the church. And in so doing, he's arguing that, in fact, he has become one of the great leaders of that church. So, how do we see this play out in the rest of chapters 20 and 21? This perspective that what Luke is really doing is defending Paul and is using the Eutychus story as one of those defenses. Well, we can see defending in other places. We see Luke defending Paul in places like Acts 20 verse 16, where Paul decides to sail past Ephesus 
And Luke says he does this so he would not have to spend time in Asia. For why? Because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. A statement like that does nothing but defend Paul's Jewishness. He wants to get back to Jerusalem for the festival. So that was verse 16. In verse 19, we see Luke mentioning Paul's trials, which came upon him through the quote-unquote plots of the Jews. Again, he's being persecuted as a member of the church by the Jews that he used to associate himself with. And Luke is taking just little bits and pieces to mention that he's no longer a part of that persecuting group. And then again, in verse 24, where Paul says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In chapter 21, Paul returns to Jerusalem, where there are people who are questioning his teaching and saying that he's telling people to forsake Moses' teaching and telling Jews living abroad not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. And in this account, Luke records the brethren as instructing Paul to accompany and pay for the temple expenses for four men who were under a vow. Paul paid for those four, and then Luke says this in chapter 21, verse 24. He says, Take them and purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads, and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. Two verses later in verse 26 says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification, until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. So in these two chapters, chapters 20 and 21 of Acts, we've got this strange little story of Eutychus, but it's not a standalone, weird, comedic story that just seems to be a throwaway. When you view it in its entirety, in its context— It's clear what Luke is trying to do on Paul's behalf. He's trying to defend him from the accusers on at least two sides. So let's not fall into a Eutychus syndrome of our own. And I would describe that as the tendency to see this story as simply a comedic story about a boy who couldn't stay awake during the sermon. There was much more going on in Luke's head when he decided to include this story within the precious pages of Scripture. Well, that's all I've got for you today from the Upper Room. (laughs) That's what I've actually named my podcast studio. I bought a little note for the door that says so. It's located not in the third story, because we don't have a third story, but it's in the second story of our house, and it does have a small window that overlooks our garden area. And if that window was just a little bit bigger, someone could sit there, maybe somebody like you, and maybe nod off for a brief moment while listening to the end of this episode. 
And if that were to happen, I wouldn't be offended. I'd really only ask if you'd consider rating, reviewing, or maybe recommending to one of your friends the Rethinking Scripture Podcast. Podcast.